Hi everyone, welcome to Let Niku Mum, a podcast where we share the stories of New Zealand parents who have had a baby in neonatal units across the country. Uh, today we are speaking with Tayani, whose son Joel was born at 28 weeks and 4 days due to severe preeclampsia. Um, shockingly, um, T has quite a severe family history of preeclampsia and none of it was kind of taken seriously um, prior to the birth of her son. So, you know, it might not have changed anything, but um, yeah, we just don't know if potentially she had been taken seriously by her midwife um, and her, you know, care team. Um, maybe the outcome could have been different, but she's uh, doing really well now and her son Joel is five months old and is also doing really well and yeah, I'll let her give you all the gory details. Um, some of it's a bit shocking, but yes, I hope you enjoy. All right, do you just want to start off sharing um, a little bit about you and your family? Sure. So I'm Tayani, commonly known as T, because it's so much easier to say. Um, <laughs> I have my fiance Alan, um, and we are very lucky to be parents to wee baby Joel, who is. 10 weeks old this week but uh corrected but technically coming up five months old tomorrow wow that's so crazy when you think eh, about the corrected and actual it, it's mind-boggling <laughs> i think for me it's been easier to deal with when i just think about him as his corrected age rather yeah. than his actual age um, yeah because all his little peers who were, you know, born within two weeks of each other, um, all everything that they're doing, he's just not there yet, which is totally understandable. Yeah. Um, it's hard so, to okay, not compare so either, eh? Like... Yeah, yeah. Because he's there with, like, alertness, but with yeah. everything else, he's still so new, 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 fresh, mm. new. Um, yeah we're not rolling over and we're not sitting up and no well I know my my um full term baby at 10 weeks was doing nothing so (laughs) yeah we're pretty much yeah yeah we wriggle ourselves around on the bed a little bit enough to make me go okay I can't leave you there anymore (laughs) (laughs) all right so he was born um at 28 and four weeks he was yeah he was why um, why was he born early he came early because i had severe preeclampsia mm-hmm. um so i had a pretty standard pregnancy um i felt pretty horrific for the first 12 weeks um didn't keep a lot of food down brushing my teeth was a nightmare that whole back molar situation gets you going. Um, That actually didn't leave the whole nine nine months, six months. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was like a switch. The minute I turned 12 weeks, all the rest of it went away. Never got the pregnancy rush or the the energy rush in the second trimester. Um, I got carpal tunnel because of pregnancy. Oh, God. In both my wrists. Um, so moving around was a real kind of issue. Work was hmm. fun with using a mouse all day. Um, and then yeah. I also had high, bl- high blood pressure from about 22 weeks. Um, 
I have a really strong family history on my mum's side of preeclampsia and health syndrome. Yeah. Um, and took my felt weird one day. Took myself down to the hospital to get my blood pressure checked because I checked it at home and it was quite high. Um, went down there and it was high again, and so they suggested getting checked um, weekly. But yeah. nobody would check me unless I had an obstetrician appointment first, which I couldn't have for three weeks. So I was like, okay, that doesn't really make sense. Like, Were you under right. the care of a midwife? Um, yep, yep. And my midwives wouldn't check me. What? Even um, did they know you had a history in your family of pre-E? Yep. Yeah, so from my very first um let's meet the midwife tinder appointment i had said to them that i had a really strong history i was born six weeks early because of my mum's preeclampsia and help um it was in um national women's um back in the day um so they knew they knew um but they still wouldn't wouldn't check me unless i had that obstetrician appointment so really lucky we have a fantastic family friend who's an amazing gp and when i told him about the situation he said oh come to me i'll check it every couple of days um so went and checked got it checked with him and it stayed high so he actually got me onto some blood pressure medication a couple of weeks sooner than what my midwife's obstetrician would that Um, is unfathomable to me like that they knew you had this history oh my god yeah um looking back now i go oh there's so many holes in this 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 situation that should not have been been holes i'd also had um an obstetrician appointment earlier in my pregnancy because of having a higher bmi um yeah where she'd just torn it torn shreds off me pretty much for even being pregnant it was yeah horrible appointment um and she told me that everything was going to go wrong in my pregnancy and it turns out she was right but everything was going to go wrong um but nobody suggested aspirin or anything you know to help prevent things from going on it was just you will not give birth in kawakawa you will be coming to whangarei um kawakawa is a very small um regional hospital um, finally being a bit bigger mm. so it, it had been a bit of a ride from the start with the whole um preeclampsia history thing but i still never really occurred to me that it would happen so early um, yeah. i kind of thought you know it would it would happen in the 30s at least and yes he'd probably mm. be a few weeks early like i was but it never once occurred to me that it was going to be so soon um, so no one had kind of prepared you while you were having these high blood pressure um, readings. No one had kind of prepared you for the fact that you're probably going to have a very early baby. No. Oh my God. No, not once. No. Um, so the blood pressure medication um, kind of kept it high, but okay-ish. It didn't, mm. it didn't improve it, um, but it didn't allow it to get much worse um the week before everything kicked off i'd gone to the hospital for an obstetrician appointment about the blood pressure um Mm. and that obstetrician was a different one she was fantastic she was awesome but um again 
like nothing my blood pressure was okay that day I'd done the urine test and everything was there was a small amount of protein but it wasn't like nothing crazy and went on my merry way I actually took my mum with me to that appointment um, because of the history um and then that was a Tuesday the Thursday I had a regular midwife appointment um and did the the urine test just the the one they check with the the piece of paper um and that had shown traces so then had done another p test which was sent away to the lab um went on my merry way the friday those results came back unbeknown to me um that weekend i went hunting with my fiance actually go traipsing around in the paddocks i stayed by the truck but you know like i was out there living my life Um, yeah and was preparing for our wedding which was meant to be happening in about two weeks from that day oh my god Um, you know so we would we we were we were like stepping stones we were getting ready to get married and then we were going to have a baby a couple of months later you know like it was there was was a lot going on um the monday came and i worked from home um as a project manager and I messaged my boss and said I need to go down to the hospital for a weekly blood pressure check because at that point they were happy to check me down there now um yeah. and she messaged back and she was like yep sweet as all good it was like smoko um see you soon pop down there because I'm five minutes down the road got mm-hmm. blood pressure checked it was 170 something um the midwife hospital midwife um checked the system saw that my preeclampsia results had come back as you have preeclampsia on the friday and she yeah. was like you're going to sangaree you so your your midwife hadn't told you the results from friday nope so this was the first you'd nope. heard of it yeah but well, like why wouldn't yeah. she tell like oh that's bizarre for something yeah, as serious as preeclampsia, know. that's yeah, how strange. So at this point, you were still I in Kawakawa. Yeah, we were in Kawakawa. Um, I called Alan, um, who was like, "Oh, okay, all right, I'm coming." <laughs> um, and we everything started happening really, really quickly. And I just remember he he arrived, and they were like trying to put me in the ambulance. And I was just like, "I just need ten minutes. Like, just everybody get out. <laughs> I yeah. just need ten minutes." Um, which they did, they were great about that. Um, and my midwife actually hadn't arrived yet. She was up doing clinic further up north. So she was on her way back down. So one of the hospital midwives got in the ambulance with me. Um, and then as we were rolling out of the Ambo Bay, my midwife hopped in as well. Mm. Um, at this point, we still think we're just going to Whangarei to get my blood pressure under control. Mm. Like, no idea what's going on. Um, if you know Northwood Roads, that trip to Whangarei in the back of the ambulance is not the most comfortable, potholes galore. Um, and we got to Whangarei, um, went in, really needed to pee, went to pee, um, had been told that my midwife was going to stay with me and help make a plan, um, for what was going to happen next, came out from the bathroom, nobody was in the room, she'd gone I presume she'd gone to talk to somebody and about 20 minutes later a Whangarei hospital midwife came in and started doing like blood pressure checks and things and I was like oh where's my midwife gone 
And she's like, Hi. oh, they've gone back to Kawakawa. What? So my midwife had just completely left me in Whangarei Hospital. No, oh no text, God. no call, no nothing. I understand yeah. about, you know, the ambulance is going back, so you want to go with it. Fine. But at least call out and say that you're leaving. Yeah, like, where's the communication? Um, right. So all of a sudden, I'm completely alone in Whangarei, not, don't know what's going on. Alan's not there yet because he's driving down separately. Yeah. And my blood pressure's through the roof, and they're talking about getting in helicopter and sending me to Auckland. <laughs> Oh my god, that baby. must have been so scary. So scary. Um, Eleanor, yeah, I don't, I can't remember the exact details, but they managed to get it to calm down briefly. My blood pressure, so everybody yeah. chilled for a minute, which was nice. Ellen came back, um, and then it started to go back up again. My blood pressure. So yeah. again, about oh, it must have been nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. They're talking about getting a helicopter and I'm going to Auckland to have this baby. Oh my God. So you were scary. You were just like, it was sprung on you pretty much. You had no preparation. No, nothing. Um, Did you have a bag at least? Alan had come home and grabbed me like my glasses, (laughs) contact lens, (laughs) wear a hairbrush, um, pajamas you know those yeah. basic things we thought we'd be in Whangarei for a couple of days top yeah yeah I really didn't want to be in hospital because the next day was my birthday oh my god um, so we um managed to stay in Whangarei that night uh Alan came home to sleep um yeah. because the amazing older midwife um, who we actually kind of knew of just through small town syndrome, um, had said, look, even if T goes in a helicopter, you're not going to be able to go with her. Mm. So you may as well go home and get some sleep um, and follow her down in the morning, mm-hmm. which he did, which was great advice. Um, so I managed to get some sleep. And then in the morning, um, we had a scan and, Joel was looking absolutely fine mm-hmm. um slightly on the smaller side but nothing nothing worryingly small mm-hmm. um and I got in an um, ambulance and we went to Auckland um whilst all of this is happening we so happy birthday to me and <laughs> hey let's let's cancel this wedding because yeah. this is starting to feel quite serious yeah um so we did that which was heartbreaking um and I had the first steroid shot which was kind of the first real trigger of oh holy shit this baby might actually come soon yeah um and again I remember saying to Alan like we just need five minutes to talk about this like it was never a we're not gonna get it but can everybody just go and just give me a minute um, which they did. Um, and got to Auckland, um, got assessed in the women's assessment unit there at Auckland City um, and taken up to the ward. And for the next couple of days, felt absolutely fine. I had no, other than the masses and masses amount of swelling, mm. um, I had no symptoms of preeclampsia. I had no headaches. I had no dizziness I had no blurry vision I had 
I had nothing. I felt like I could go out and do life as normal. It was yeah. crazy that people are telling me that I'm so unwell, but yet yeah. I feel perfectly fine. Were they um, still giving you like the blood pressure meds? Yeah, I was on about six at that point. Yeah. Six different meds trying to bring it down or keep it down. Um, which were they were they were doing with relative success and they were still kind of talking about trying to get to thirty two weeks. Yeah. Um, which was also scary and daunting thinking we're gonna have to sit in this hospital for this long. Yeah. And you know, financially. Yeah. You know, I, I don't make money at that point, like um there's no assistance for sitting no. in the hospital waiting for your baby to come. Yeah. Um, there's assistance once your baby's come. Yeah. Nothing for for you sitting there and waiting. Obviously, annual leave and sick leave would have come into play, and that that's fine. But you know, all those things go through your mind. And, or does Ellen go home and go back to work? Because mm. surely they'll get there'll be a little bit of notice of all oh, this baby might come today, come back to Auckland. You know, yeah. three and a half four hours drive away. But we kind of there was one point when one obstetrician came in and made one little comment that made us both go at the after he left and go, okay, you're not going anywhere. Um, you know, this ba- this is going to happen quickly if it happens. Yeah. And on, so that was yeah, Tuesday and the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the Friday, again, everything was fine. Um, it was actually quite nice because people had started flying in from overseas for the wedding. Yeah. So we had quite a few visitors keeping our mind off of what was going on. Um, and my godmother, Sharon, was with us when we went for a scan. And my head was slightly tilted downwards in the, in the, in the room. And she, I remember her being quite worried about the fact that I was so head down and not understanding why. Yeah. Um, but I but I was and the scan showed that Joel was fine. He was fine on the monitoring the whole way through that week. He was absolutely fine. Every yeah. single time we got put on monitoring, usually it takes what, 20 minutes to get a result. Yeah. One day I sat there for four and a half hours being monitored. because He was just so chill doing his own thing in there. It was such hard work. Um, and then walking back from the other, from one side of the hospital to the other, I felt quite unwell um, yeah. and quite unfit. And I'm no athlete by any means, but I had <laughs> kept quite fit throughout my pregnancy. I was still going to personal training and walking the dog, um, you know, those sorts of things. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's weird, but maybe I'm just a bit tired. Um, it wasn't until about five o'clock that afternoon that I started to get really severe chest pains. Yeah. And we pressed the emergency button. I think now looking back, that chair being um, head down had pushed all the fluid that was filling my abdomen and other parts of my body. So mm. it was huge with fluid. Mm. It, it had started filling up my chest with mm. fluid. And at that point, it was all go. I have never seen so many people in um in a hospital room at once all trying mm. to get their hands on one person and I'm hooked up to ECG leads and they're all flapping around and I'm sure they were all very busy but it looked like they were all doing nothing but very yeah. quickly. Um and I remember just in all of that chaos my one of my best friends Stu walked in to 
drop off some medication for Alan and he just gave me the biggest hug and it was like oh okay oh and then yeah. he left and it was oh, okay this is gonna <laughs> be all right um and we got taken down to HDU where they were um trying to control my blood pressure which was over 200 at this point oh my so god how I didn't have a stroke I don't know yeah um, and they had to call in um, on call anaesthetist to put in a line because everybody was failing at trying to get lines into me. Yeah. Um, I had so much local put in my wrist so that they could put in an arterial line um, and I could still feel it. It was it was horrific. I had those bruises for about seven weeks afterwards. Holy moly. Um, it was just, it was so painful, so yeah. painful. But the whole time this amazing I don't know if she was a surgeon I don't know if she was an obstetrician I don't know what her official title was Mm. um Helen kept the whole room so calm so calm that we didn't realize how sick I was yeah and how like how bad the situation was um the midwife midwives Hannah and Paige that night were incredible and it they it it was I just don't have words for how amazing that team was in such a dangerous situation. Yeah. And then I think it was about 8.30 that they said, this baby's coming tonight. Um, mm. And they managed to get my blood pressure down enough to be able to be safe to go to theatre. Yeah. Um, I was so scared of having an epidural my whole pregnancy. <laughs> did you get the the told about the massive needles yes and the 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 thread out your back and yeah what if it goes wrong and I didn't have a birth plan other than the baby needs to come safely but I knew that I wanted to try and avoid an epidural yeah and it was a it was a breeze it was like the easiest thing that (laughs) ever happened to me in my life I remember thinking Man, I was so dumb to be worried about this. <laughs> this is fine. Um, and the anaesthetist just talked crap to me the whole time, mm. which was great. Kept my mind off it. Had your um, midwife made a return? No, no. Still still hadn't heard from her. Nothing at all. One text to say, now that you're in Auckland, please keep us updated because Auckland don't tell us anything. So I was like, oh, you're the least of my worries right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it felt like somebody was going through my pockets. <laughs> the only way that I can describe that C-section. And at 10.01, Joel popped out. Um, 28 weeks and four days, um, 1.1 kgs oh, and little. 36 centimetres long. Um, and he was perfect, uh, screaming his lungs out, <laughs> absolutely going handy, which was awesome. And I remember them bringing him around to show me and him just looking like a little blob, um, <laughs> a little long blob and being whisked off to the NICU team. Did he have he to be, on... did he have to be resuscitated or anything? No, nothing. No he just intubation? Had to, he's just straight on to, nope, straight on to CPAP amazing Um, which we're so grateful obviously at that point we had no idea what was going to happen yeah 
we had actually had a visit from one of the NICU coordinators about half an hour before all of this kicked off. So yeah. we hadn't even had a chance to watch the DVD about what NICU was like, let alone go down to NICU and see it. Um, yeah. And yeah, so he was, he was great and he was off with the NICU team. Um, Alan went with him and I, rem- I remember looking over my shoulder to where Alan had been sitting and this lovely Samoan guy had sat down and I remember looking at him going, what happened to Alan? (laughs) What happened to you, Alan? And he was like, I'm not Alan. Okay. Um, And being so desperately thirsty. And although you can't move your body, just desperately trying to get off that table to go and find some water. Yeah. Um, But yeah, got all sewn up and taken back through to recovery where it all felt like a very much a blur. Um, And then threw back through to HDU for the night. Um, Joel was fine down in NICU. Alan was popping between us. Um, I actually only found out about a week ago that he had a hand that full of numbers of rooms and corridors and things that he had to go in to find both of us. Poor guy. Um, (laughs) They don't make um, it easy, eh? No, no. And then, you know, is she actually going to be where I left her? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so then when the next day we spent in HDU with another amazing, amazing midwife um, and having that, having a catheter was like the best thing in the world, just mm. being able to stay still. Um, that afternoon, Alan wheeled me down to go and meet Joel. Mm-hmm. which was pretty special, but I was so tired that I lasted all of five minutes in that wheelchair before feel, falling asleep in the wheelchair <laughs> because of how warm Niku was. Yes. Comforting, but also daunting sound of the CPAP machine bubbling yes. away just sent me straight to sleep. So he <laughs> took me back, back to the room. Um, but Joel was fine. He had a bit of jaundice, which they were dealing with. Yeah. Um, not real bad, but just a little bit. Um, and I was taken back through to HDU where I thought I was spending another night, which was going to be great because it was the same midwife who had been looking after me prior to birth. Mm-hmm. And she was going to show me about expressing and, you know, starting all of that stuff. And then at 11 o'clock at night, they moved me back to a shared room. Uh-huh. <laughs> Were you um, feeling okay at this point? Like, obviously, birth is what the main, um, oh, what do they say? That Like, the main way to get over preeclampsia. Were you feeling, like, different? Did you feel better? I felt better. Um, I felt fine, other than just feeling quite out of it. Yeah. And yes, looking back at my numbers, um, it was crazy. The night before my liver and then by three forty-five the next morning, it, was, it was well on its way to going back to normal. That's good. Um, for me, I got help syndrome two days later. Yeah. So they would then trying to control, control that, um, but no 
nobody told me that I had. Yeah. I just didn't know why I wasn't being allowed to leave. Hospital yeah. Because yeah. I felt fine. Um, I knew my blood pressures were high, but I didn't realize until later that I'd actually gotten help. Mm. Um, but I felt, I felt okay. Um, for me, it was more the, the stress of trying to get my head around. Okay, the baby's just come. How do I feed him? Yeah. Um, how do I? How does that happen? And I was just given a pump, and no, no advice. Just given a pump. This is this is your pump. When you've got milk, take it down to Miku. Yeah, I was like that as well. And they like didn't tell me how to even use the pump, and it was like one of those. No blue like it looked like a little engine (laughs) and I was like how do I use this and they were just like you just need to pump every three hours and I was like okay but literally how like yeah yeah do you want to make sure that this all fits because oh no it actually doesn't yeah and oh okay um all right you're a weekend and you're still not getting more than a mil you know at a time maybe maybe something's up here had they um, recommended donor milk or formula or bottles or anything? Well, obviously he was yep, still so tube fed, but we signed him over onto donor milk pretty pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as they suggested it, we were like, "Yep," yeah, and signed signed him onto that. Yeah. Um, and he was predominantly on that for the uh, for the month that he was in. We were in Auckland. Yeah. Um, I. And Craig managed to increase my output to five mils per mm-hmm. time I was expressing. That was between both breasts, not mm. each. Um, but that was all I was getting. We spent hundreds of dollars on teas and biscuits. And yeah. my mother-in-law and my mum were making me biscuits. And I was eating so much of what they told me I needed to be eating. Yeah. Um, and doing. And nothing, and nothing was helping. Um, I had to fight to get on Don Peridome, mm-hmm. um, and that got me up to 10 mils at a time, and as lovely as the lactation consultant in Auckland was, um, it was just keep going, keep going. Mm. I, I was exhausted, round yeah. the clock, every three hours, getting this done, whilst trying to hold Joel for, you know, two to three hours at a time to minimise yeah. that stress of coming in and out of the incubator, Um it wasn't until we got to Whangarei and five weeks down into this journey that the lactation consultant actually looked at me physically and, and you know, said, you don't have the tissue or the glands to, to produce enough milk to feed him. Yeah. Um, and it was <coughs> heartbreaking, but such mm. a relief that it wasn't mm. just because of our shitty start in life. Mm. It was something that anatomically I couldn't, change yeah um but i don't have a donor milk system so mm. he had to transition onto formula so he was on formula at that stage and then just whatever i could express mm-hmm. um i'm actually still five months down the track expressing what i can um i think i get an average of 50 mils a day um, still that's I amazing can, i stopped as soon as i got stop. home <laughs> yeah uh, my head is telling me to stop. It really is. My heart won't let me. Yeah. Um, because it's the one thing that I can do do for him. Um, yeah. 
that no one else can. Um, when I did get that that word that that I wouldn't be able to exclusively feed him, um, it broke me. I held it yeah. together while I was in Skibu that day, but it broke me, and it was the straw that broke the camel's back. It really was. Yeah. Um, I just tr- was trying to leave. Um, I didn't want to harm myself, but I my head was telling me that Alan and Joel didn't need me. They oh, could no. just do this without me, and I could just. I didn't need to be here. Um, mm. Alan took the keys off me one night trying to leave, <laughs> and mm. I gave my stepmum, who is, um, yeah, she's great with the find my friends on the iPhone. I mm-hmm. put made her <laughs> have me on her iPhone so that if my head did overtake, mm. um, someone knew where I was. So I knew what my my brain was doing to myself, and you know we tried to mitigate that as much as possible. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just wish that somebody had looked, or it was part of a midwife check before before you had a baby, or in that first week of going. Yeah. Okay, you've got the signs here that this is actually going to be a really hard road, and I still would have tried. And I'd mm. still be doing what I'd do, but I wouldn't have spent those five weeks absolutely exhausted yeah. on top of everything else. And I don't, so I don't know really about hard. you, but for me, it was nice to be told it was okay that I wasn't giving like my twins yeah. everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was nice to be told, like it's fine. Like you're doing the best you can. It's literally all you can do, and it's okay. Rather than being told you just got to keep trying. Yeah, absolutely. And then them being so supportive of our bottle feeding journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I didn't make much milk, when, when he did get to high flow and was coming down the high flow levels, they let us try early um, mm-hmm. to breastfeed. And he feeds perfectly, which, you know, that hurts as well. You know, oh, you could I could give you to anybody and you'd, you'd feed great. Mm-hmm. Um but it did mean that we had a couple of really, really beautiful moments. Um, but he, being the clever cookie that he is, cottoned on to it's hard to get milk out of here. Yeah. I yeah. don't want to do this. Give me, give me that bottle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So now it's just we don't even try because he just yells. <laughs> We're like, you can't yell the milk out, mate. Um, so, but that's all good. Um, yeah, but... Other than that, our stay in Auckland, we were in Ronald McDonald House, managed to get released from hospital Mm -hmm. um, with agreeing to go back to the women's assessment unit for daily blood pressure checks Mm -hmm. um, the day before we were meant to get married, which was like my goal. I didn't want to be in hospital on our wedding day. Yeah. Um, And so I managed to do that. And it was actually Easter, Easter Friday that, that we got, Good Friday that we got. I got released to get onto yeah. Ronald McDonald. Um, crappy timing. We followed another couple with their beautiful newborn baby out of the hospital by mm. chance. Um, so all those feelings of unnatural, you know, not now not being in the same building, the same mm. floor as my gorgeous boy was mm. so hard. It's so hard. Hard. Um, being Good Friday, the pharmacy in the hospital was closing early. Um, because you only ever seem to get discharged in the afternoon. <laughs> I <laughs> needed to fill my meds, um, yeah. and we had, so we had to get in an, in an Uber down to a 24-hour pharmacy in Newmarket. They didn't have everything I needed, so then we had mm. to go back to the, the, the ward and say, 
I can't get what I need. Like, can you guys give me enough for the night? Which they did. But yeah. it was all just steps that we didn't need. Yeah. Um, but then we fell into a really good rhythm in Auckland. Um, we were in room five in Niku for about three weeks and then did five days in room 10, the transitional room mm-hmm. between the levels. Um, and Joel was, was great. Um, he just needed time, really. Um, he stayed on his CPAP settings. I can't remember what it was, but it was like the lowest CPAP setting the whole the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a few little apneas, as they all seem mm-hmm. to do when they're yeah. little. But compared to what was going on in the rooms around us, in those little pods, we were very lucky just to be able to hold our baby and yeah and just need time um and then day before anzac day he we got uh transferred back to whangarei skibu mm-hmm. uh that was an experience in, its, in itself <laughs> especially after having been in ronald mcdonald so close by for yeah. so long um i was really nervous about what the how like the accommodation was going to be like in Whangarei Um, and the incredible nurse manager in Whangarei um, gave us a call and she said there will be accommodation for you both don't worry about it it'll be fine Mm -hmm. so in my head because I'd had a single room other than one night in a shared room I just thought that would mean that we'd have you know kind of similar to a Ronald McDonald kind of room situation yeah I didn't realize that that was going to mean a shared space in a shared hospital room and transitional um, rooming with a single bed and an armchair <laughs> as our accommodation. So how far so I, do you guys live from Whangarei Hospital? About an hour. So it wasn't even yeah. worth your partner going home to get a decent sleep every night? In the end, that's what we did because mm. my mental health couldn't handle sharing a room with other people like I needed yeah. my space um but it was heartbreaking like being yeah. an hour away from him um mm. was ho- was horrible um we were really lucky those first few days we had incredible nurses who text us um Whangarei was actually really awesome in that they had a phone that yeah. they you could call rather than having to go through the hospital yeah. line you could call the cell phone and also they would text from it and send photos. Oh, um, that's so and cool. And that first night when 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 the nurse changed, um, she called us just to let us know that she had Joel for the night and um, that he was fine and that they were happy and what their little plan mm. was. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. That's so um, lovely. So nice. Um, and... But even just the change between NICU where, you know, those nurses are so devoted to their one or two babies that they've got per day yeah. to change to Skibu where, where they're equally as lovely. But, you know, they've got four or five babies yeah. to look after um, was such such a difference. Um, unfortunately, that first week in Whangarei, the paediatrician really rubbed me up the wrong way um, and was very very cagey about giving us information about Joel mm-hmm. we were so used to being there for every like round change and every every doctor's rounds in Auckland.
happened that we were, you know, we were pretty up with the play of what was going on with Joel and all of a sudden we were having to fight to get information about him. Yeah. Um, so much so that I actually put in a, a formal complaint about that doctor. Good. I didn't have to deal with him again, luckily. Yeah. Um, he was meant to be our pediatri- pediatrician moving forward. <laughs> nope. Well. Nope. No, thank you. It was just like one day he was listening to Joel's heartbeat and he listened for nearly five minutes um, and then just walked away. Oh. And they didn't tell me what was going on. Um, and then when I, you know, asked for him to come back and explain it to me, he looked at me like I was and that he was, I wasn't worth his time. Yeah. Um, it was horrible. Horrible. Someone like that probably shouldn't be working working with premature babies whose parents or, you know, any babies whose parents are yeah. worried and need to be involved because that's all they can do. Yeah. We it was kind of a common theme actually was trying to drag information out of a lot of what was going on. Um, yeah. there were some really, really amazing nurses who we connected with a lot. Um and had jokes with and you know they tell us about their lives we tell them about ours and um one amazing nurse she ever listens to us this she'll know who she is if I say this but you know Joel P managed to pee on her through the the incubator porthole um, you know she took she took the time to text us and tell us that we've done that um you know really really cool people but then it was information that we hadn't been told. Yeah. You know, like even in his discharge papers, there was information in there that we didn't, we didn't know. Yeah. Um, so when the, yeah, just, and even in the light, the latest pediatric appointment, I still need to go back to them about it. Cause there's information in there that I didn't, that we didn't discuss in the, in the appointment. Yeah. yeah. It was just, it's constant battle to get information. And in the end, I, it got to the point where um I was going through the the previous day's notes with the doctor every day to make Mm -hmm. sure that there wasn't stuff that was being missed um because unfortunately there was and again that shouldn't be on you no you know that's not your job and it's yeah not fair of them to put you through that when you're already doing so much else yes Yep. Um, we had a whiteboard next to Joel when we got to Whangarei. All the babies had one. And in yeah. the end, I wrote on there, A, no firsts without us. Mm-hmm. Because one of the nurses put them in clothes without us for the first time. Uh, we had that as well. But it was because they had to move them into a cot unexpectedly at like 11 o'clock at night. But I was, it was, See, that, I was I so like, gutted though. Yeah, like you'd be heartbroken, but you can understand if there is a reason. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in this case, the nurse had, he was due to go into a cot, but not, not for a couple of days until Alan yeah. was, could be there as well. There was no pressure to get him out of the incubator. Yeah. Um, but overnight, the story had changed in the, the nurse Chinese whispers and that Joel was going into a cot the next day so that he could have a bath the day after that. And she mm. just didn't want to make another nest in the incubator, so she put him in. Oh my clothes. god! Was this in Fangadei? Yeah, I was. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I was so upset, 
I would be too. You you Um, already don't get so much being in Niku or Skaboo. It's like the little things to have that taken away from you is just heartbreaking. Yeah, the little things matter so much. Yeah. So much. Um and I said to the nurse after that day, I said to the that night nurse, if um if he pees through his, his clothes or, you know, if he needs changing, can you just leave him naked? <laughs> she was like, yes. <laughs> yes, T. I was like, can we just start again tomorrow? She was like, yes, you can do that. We can do that. And he did. So the next day we came in and he was naked and we could pretend to put him in clothes for the first time. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and just little things like in the middle of the night, you know, you're sitting there feeding your baby and you've been in this unit for four to five weeks. It's not like you're a transitional baby coming in, you know, just for some checks after birth. Mm. You know, we've been there. We know who you are. You know who we are. Mm. And coming up and the nurse goes, is the baby okay? I was like, what do you mean? She said, is the baby okay? I said, you mean Joel? (laughs) And she's like, oh, yes, I guess so. Right. He's human. Yeah. If you don't know what his name is, ask. Yeah, look at the side of the cot where there's this big beautiful picture that says Joel. Yeah. And if you really don't know, he's on the screen as baby baby of Tayani or baby Remington, whatever it was. You know? (laughs) Let's not be doing you wouldn't walk into an adult's room and say, How's the man doing? Yeah. We had um, one of our nurses, I think she was from Sri Lanka, so obviously English was not her first language, and Bo, our twin B, his name is Bo, it's spelled B-E-A-U, so she always used to say it, Bew, like beautiful. (laughs) And I just remember remember it so vividly, she'd be like, Bew, Bew, and it's just like one of those memories, this like core memory that's just stuck with me is this nurse, her name was Lissy. You are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> you could kind of understand the Filipino nurses, um, you know, saying them or it because they don't differentiate between the sexes. Yeah. Um, as much as it, it irked me, I was like, oh no, I can, I can, I can live with that. But yeah. this this chick was, um, she was very New Zealand. She was mm. very much a New Zealander. And I also feel for them, you know, they have to do a lot to these poor wee babies, you know, yeah. different procedures. And I kind of get that, that level of separation, but you don't dehumanize someone by not no, using their name. especially when their mum is sitting there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Other um, than that, how did you find the differences between Nico and Skibu? Like, um, did you find that when you moved to Whangarei, you had to do a lot more for Joel? Which actually found it was the other way around at first. Mm. Um, in Niku, we had the it just seemed it just happened this way yeah. that for about a week we had this amazing, amazing nurse called Liz, um, and she very, very quietly got us very, very confident doing everything for Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't over the top about it, but she just very gently made us do everything. Mm-hmm. which was incredible. Um, we were fortifying his milk. We were doing his tears. We were removing his CPAP. You know, she was always there. Um, yeah. But we were doing everything. And then we got to 
Skaboo. And at first they were very hesitant to like even let us get him out of his incubator ourselves. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, in the end we were just like, just leave it. Like we're fine. Yeah. If we need help, we'll ask. Um, so it took a little bit to get them to come round to what we needed. Um, mm-hmm. But once we did, they left. And I think once they realized that we were their everyday, all day parents, they just left us to it. Mm, if we needed something we would ask um but I remember towards the end of our six weeks there one of the nurses introduced me to one of the doctors and was like this is T she's basically one of us (laughs) Um, (laughs) because we did we did do everything for Joel yeah Yeah. um and towards the end of our skaboo stay about two and a half weeks before we left um, Alan got sick, so I started staying in the mother's room, and they'd actually yeah. been, because of my mental health, they'd, they'd left me a, a bed in that mother's room the whole time, mm-hmm. um, so if I ever wanted to stay, I could, um, and I'd started kind of doing one night down there, one night at home, or two nights down there, one night at home, um, but yeah. then when Alan got sick, I just stayed down there full time, yeah. um, so I was there for about two and a half weeks staying there so it was it was the only feed that I didn't do was like the one early morning feed just to get a good decent chunk of sleep but I did I did every other feed um tube or bottle or or breast um for that time so as much as the nurses were very very hands-on they were also very hands-off yeah that's good yeah and I was very, yeah. I'm very fortunate that I could be there. You know, we don't have any other children to have to factor into our NICU mm. or SCABU equation. Um, Joel actually got sick while we, he was in there as well. He got coronavirus, oh, um, no. which he handled like an absolute champ. <laughs> but it was it was terrifying, terrifying seeing some, someone so little be so sick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really, really wanted to take one of those suction machines home. Uh, <laughs> something oddly satisfying about watching watching snots fly slip out it in your bag <laughs> yeah um yeah but no they were they were great they good yeah. Yeah. i wish we could have stayed in touch with um with a lot of them but totally also respect that whole um you know barrier that they need to put in place yeah as much yeah as they for were sure. such a massive part of our lives for six weeks <clears throat> they do this in and out and in and out but mm. we've been back to the hospital a few times and we take him to go and visit and they 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 like seeing how big yeah he's getting which is which is nice but we were really lucky in that we just had to wait for the oxygen yeah um really that was joel's thing was was he liked the the oxygen percentage he didn't really mm-hmm. seem to be too bothered about what the flow of it was but yeah. he liked a slightly higher percentage so there was there was 10 days there once he got to high flow that nothing happened and I remember sitting there in the middle of that going there is no end to this <laughs> we're going to be here forever yeah because no, no settings changed nothing changed um and it was it was so and you you know nobody could really give you a good reason as to why nothing yeah. was changing either other than he just needed time and actually for joel a lot was happening he was doing a lot of 
growing and maturing and all that yeah good yeah stuff. um but it was it was hard and then it happened you know going to low flow happened quite quite quickly as well mm-hmm. as coming down the levels of low flow and then we actually came off oxygen for five days mm-hmm. but then they did an overnight oximetry on him and he was sitting below 90 percent too often yeah um so we went back on low flow at 20 mils and again he was sitting slightly too often i think it was like 5.9 percent um below 90 when they're like from below five percent yeah so we came yeah. home on um 50 mils on, yeah of low flow that's what we came home on too yeah I so he like quite normal number eh? yeah well our nurse said it was just a sniff she said it was just yeah, a sniff yeah, it's hardly anything no um so he came home after 10 weeks yep 10 weeks 70 days nearly to the minute of pressing the emergency button which is quite weird um again wanted to be discharged in the morning and i think we got discharged at about five o'clock in the afternoon on a friday of course but hey we were going we were going home um that the skaboo had had a really hard couple of weeks with with other babies um and having been there for a lot of it i just needed to not be there anymore so yeah. i remember the nurse manager saying to me you can wait until he's off oxygen which i'm glad we didn't decide to do that because we'd still be there oh my um, god or or you can go home today and i was like we're going home yeah we're going home yeah. let's go um but yeah 70 70 days all up which is a drop in the bucket compared to what some other incredible families go through and i don't mm. know how how you get through more than that because that no. was yeah a lot um, my four and a half weeks was more than enough yeah um, so he came yep. home on oxygen and he's still on, still on his 50 mils. Yep. Still on 50 mils. Um, we've done a couple of, um, oximetries since then. Um, and he's been sitting quite comfortably around that 6.5% mark yeah. uh, below 90. Um, so haven't moved anything. The last one we did a couple of weeks ago, we got the okay to try on 30 mils. Yeah. Um, but then he came down with a cold. Um, oh, yeah. So, again, absolutely handled it like a legend, but not fair to do those kinds of tests while he's not feeling well. No, um, yeah. And then because, you know, lack of resources, um, we haven't been able to get a machine since, but we're mm-hmm. getting one tomorrow. So, cool. well, um, fingers we crossed. Try, we'll try on 30, and then hopefully I... we're moving towards getting it gone. I know how friggin' annoying it is to lug that bloody tank around. <laughs> it's like a third limb at this point. I'm so annoying. And you like just yeah. you're not free to do anything. No, and it's yeah. For weeks I didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um and then I did get brave enough to swap, you know, from big bottle to little bottle and go to Plunkett Mums and Bubs morning and you know get out a little bit but it's been so cold as well yeah I yeah i really wanted to take him outside no. but once i kind of got into it as well i'm like oh this is actually kind of okay like yeah i don't know what this is meant to be like without without these extra things yeah um, you know you know he's also still on an apnea machine i think that's more annoying than the 
than the oxygen i constantly yeah. pick them up and go to move and that drag that thing oh yeah that's right pick that up too <laughs> um, yeah so i think once we finally get off all this monitoring it's just going to feel you were like so where's, where's the rest of the baby gone <laughs> yeah where's all these things um yeah can't wait for that day really but other than the <laughs> oxygen he's had no issues no no issues um we had a bit of a scare with um the videos that they do for their movement i can't remember what they're called mm. but they get you to do do the video above them so that the physios can assess their movement yeah um randomly out of the blue got a call um to say that both joel's i think it was like 36 week or 35 week video and his eight week video whatever it was both of them had come back as abnormal yeah and i was like uh excuse me nobody <laughs> told us that his first one had been abnormal what do you mean yeah. that one was too um <clears throat> we're now you know behind the eight ball trying to give this kid who's already had a rough start in life a you know a, a, the, the best opportunity to succeed what mm. do you mean that for six weeks we've not been you know trying to help him the best we can not be yeah. abnormal yeah um so in the end the physio was actually really understanding and came and visited us at home um and you know saw from joel that actually no he's he's not abnormal got abnormal movement um <clears throat> the video just wasn't a fair snapshot of what he actually can do what a relief <clears throat> um so such a relief but like also don't call somebody and tell them that their child's abnormal. Yeah, especially if you've not actually seen them. Yeah, like let's let's not be doing that. No. Um, they were sa- trying to say that he didn't move his legs as much as his arms. Yeah. And then when she came and saw him and saw how much he bashes and crashes his play gym, <laughs> she's like, "Oh no, that child's fine." <laughs> um, but other than that, we've been very very lucky amazing all he's needed is is time yeah um yeah and you've you've been okay your health um i see i my levels are not back to normal yet um but that's so common after you know preeclampsia that they're going to take a while to come right yeah um so we're just monitoring monitoring those um and i'm on iron tablets um but uh, I see maternal mental health every week or every, at least every fortnight um, just to stay on top of that feeling of, of guilt. Good, um, yeah. That you know, every, I've been told that as soon as you give birth to a baby, it gets tattooed inside your eyelids, that mum guilt. Yeah. Um, but just that intensified, this is my fault yeah. feeling. Um you know every blood test that he had to have done i felt too and i know that the me saying this is not no different to any other mum or dad that's in NICU mm. um you know just that that feeling of everything that he's had to go through is is on me it's my fault that he's had to you know have a hard start to life mm. um so seeing a psychiatrist has just been the best thing to you know work through that and work through where those feelings have come from yeah 
Um, but also, you know, even to get maternal mental health was a fight, you know, yeah, I saw yeah. the, seeing the, the social worker in, in Auckland. And then when we got transferred, they said that um, they would do a referral to Northland and they didn't. Mm. So I had to chase that up and follow that up because I um, have a bit of a history of anxiety and depression. During yeah. my whole pregnancy, I, I tried to stay as chill as possible because I knew that would transfer through to baby. Yeah. Um, you know, like I had a plan of going, okay, this is how I'm going to try and, you know, m- mitigate getting postnatal depression really bad. Like it's probably going to happen, but how are we going to, you know, stop it being real, real bad? Yeah. Getting out every day for a walk and doing all this stuff and then literally be having to sit in a seat for 10 weeks. Mm. and not be able to move yeah um watching your baby who shouldn't be here yet with all these cords attached to him and yeah it's freaking hard yeah so i have managed to to kind of keep it at bay but that's only through having that psychiatrist but if i didn't have that you know that knowledge or that that drive to to go out and seek that help i just i really feel for people who are just lost in the system yeah because when you're in such a heightened experience like we are you shouldn't have to fight for the help that you deserve to get no it should just be freely offered and my psychiatrist even said it to me the other day she said you wouldn't have gotten the help that you're getting if you hadn't have fought for it yeah um and that's just so sad and i just i just hope that everybody knows anybody who has a baby knows that you can get that support from maternal yes. mental health yes um and because even man, even having a baby and you might have the best birth in the world that's still traumatic as heck mm. um so if you want to talk to somebody about it then you should it should be freely mentioned. absolutely but again my midwives never even mentioned um no mental maternal mental health um yeah okay last question we'll get there have you heard from your midwife since no oh my god no um i'm actually going to contact them to debrief with them um mainly from the point of view of nobody offered me aspirin no my massive massive family history of preeclampsia nobody picked up that I wasn't on aspirin or that I could have been on aspirin. Exactly. And, you know, this, you know, have him coming early might have still happened, but it would have happened, you know, 36 weeks maybe or yeah. 37 or even maybe 35. Yeah. When maybe we wouldn't have to be on this oxygen journey that we're on. Yeah. Um, I just want to make sure that it, this doesn't happen again. And then also meeting another mum in Skibu who had the same midwife and was in there because of preeclampsia was like, <gasps> okay. Um, yeah, was a bit like, okay, let's, I let's do something at the time, but the, let's do something about this because no, yeah. I haven't heard from them at all. Um, That's and wild. So, you know, didn't get that follow up care at home either. No, we were no. in the hospital for so long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no knowledge, no, no, yeah, nothing, nothing. That um, makes me see red. That's <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. So oh we're not doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the risk, 
just the risk of it happening again is too too high. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I, I for me personally, you know, my, my grandmother had similar issues. My mum definitely had the same issues, um, if not even worse than, than me. Mm. Um, but just later on in the pregnancy, myself, and then, you know, if I had a daughter, I would be so worried for her. Yeah. So worried for her going yeah. through this. Um, but I can't imagine going and and because I do have a higher risk of this happening again maybe not to the quite the same extent but the same extent yeah I can't imagine leaving Joel for three no months no and even still not even just again. not even just leave what if something happened to you you know as well like it's yeah. so serious for your health it's not just about the yeah. baby like it's about you as well all right well thank you so much for sharing your story you were so lovely to talk to and I hope um, Joel's ox- next oximetry goes well and you can slowly start to wean off the oxygen. So yeah, that was T's story. Um, she obviously went through the ringer with how incredibly unwell she got. Um, but I'm so glad to hear that both her and Joel were doing well. Um, please, as T mentioned, um, she touched on maternal mental health. Please, if you are struggling do fight to be seen uh the support is there it's just sometimes hard to get so please be the squeaky wheel um make sure you're looking after yourself because at the end of the day your baby needs you to be to be your best self so yeah i hope you enjoyed listening and i'll chat to you later bye